Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line, as always, is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, I need a number 1 to 10, 1 being not at all, 10 being an insane amount of FOMO for missing out on MagicCon Vegas. That's a tough question. Gosh, I was I was all ready for you to tee me up as like, Ethan, the Railbird Sachs or something. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I don't think FOMO is the right thing to describe how I feel. I honestly feel like... I made the right choice for myself. I was talking to you briefly this weekend about like, it's just, it's so hard to think about going to Vegas, spending all that money and that time out of your schedule and whatever to be near people that you're never near. Like for me to travel to see you and then to be like, okay, bye, I'm going to go play sealed all day and basically never get to talk to you. That just feels not great to me. Like there's a real push pull there. So I really felt great about getting to follow all of the amazing runs that so many of our peers did this weekend. Plus, I was like, law of averages, if I went there, it seems (laughs) like no chance you were doing well because too many other content creators absolutely crushed it. That's exactly right. So I was like, I feel like that would have made me feel worse. So all told, I think I, I don't feel FOMO, but I do feel like I'm pride is not the right word, but I'll say pride for how well so many people did this weekend. Yeah, I think it was awesome. I have serious FOMO, but I mean, <laughs> I mean, I, I'll, I'll let you be rational about it. I was at Marching Man all weekend constantly on Twitter and opening the Lords of Limited Discord just to cheer on all the other content creators that were doing awesome in Vegas. And I agree with you in the sense that I do think I also made the right choice for myself to not take a weekend off from marching band and travel. Like I would have left, missed several days of school, have flown in late tonight, like be getting up early to go to school. I would just be wiped and I'm already wiped. So I can't imagine mm-hmm. having traveled to Vegas. I just don't think it was very realistic. So I, I feel like I made the correct decision, but there's still... Some serious FOMO. There's a lot of cool stuff happening at MagicCon Vegas. So much cool stuff. But before we get to this weekend, Ben, I need us to chat real quick about what happened last weekend. We left our listeners <laughs> on the edge of their seats. I was 3-1 going into draft two. You were 4-0 going into draft two. Uh, folks know how my run went if they checked out our YouTube channel. I posted my first run there and let everyone know that I basically just sort of fizzled out. Um, in run two, uh, drafted what I thought was a pretty cool black-white control deck um, and then just got a little stomped and a little nerfed by Agatha's Cauldron. Some of the recursion I was trying to run to get some creatures out of my yard just got completely ho- hosed by that card. But no worries, because what happened to you in draft number two, Ben? Won that $2,000, baby. Eight and one. You love to see it. You drafted the nastiest red-white aggro deck. It was so good. Was that your first time playing Boros? <laughs> it was my second time playing Boros. <laughs> Shout out to you for being on Discord and being like, no, you, you really want to do this. This is how red-white works. <laughs> my sweet summer child of many colors. <laughs> yeah, my drafts were largely on rails. I mean, I can't claim to have done anything super special. I think most people would have drafted the decks I drafted in my seat. I draft one, first picked a black green card, the Moss Wood Dread Knight, 
was black green on rails draft two started red white and stayed red white i think the best thing i did was stay very disciplined which was hard for me i think people are kind of either predisposed to hedge or stay in a lane and i am very predisposed to hedge as a drafter and i had good lanes open to me and had chances to solidify myself in the good lanes that were open to me and i i took every chance i could to solidify myself i think that was the best thing i did plus obviously played very well like you don't you don't get to eight and one without playing good magic and I, I got lucky along the way as well so yeah and shout out to a bunch of other folks in the discord who cashed as well yeah yeah it was super awesome to see folks in the discord cashing uh with 500 a thousand or two thousand dollars last weekend that was super awesome speaking of the discord let's do a little segue here and then we'll get into all the good stuff that happened this weekend a little segue to the patreon page patreon.com slash lords of limited is where folks can go to give back to the show if they so choose the show is always free but if you want to give back if you want to get in on the best magic community on the internet full stop that's the Lord's Limited Discord. I really, truly believe that. It's so awesome. Um, we're going to shout some folks out from the Discord in just a second. But if you don't know what Discord is, it's just like a giant chat room. And we have a ton of little like sub channels in there. Um, we had some like watch along stuff for the uh, the 100K in Vegas this weekend as well. So we got to like track people's results that we wanted to track. That was really fun. Got to cheer some people on, people sharing their pool, people sharing their various accomplishments there. And just a great spot for you know events like the arena open last weekend events like the uh, championship qualifier that'll be next weekend um, limited runs for that happened yesterday and uh, they'll be happening on friday on arena for the saturday and sunday sealed tournament i'll be playing in that so fingers crossed that we have some good good content there good pool to uh to run out on our youtube channel and of course we want to shout out our new patrons the first week that they join and this week we're welcoming christopher tim rodney famous pete eric curtis and tom Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We really appreciate your support. Yeah. Cannot say thank you enough to those folks and just everyone over the years that has subbed to the Patreon and and the Discord for being an amazing community. Like I feel it so much when I have marching band all day. Mm. Like the fact that I can pop Discord open on my phone and feel plugged into magic and feel part of a community is incredible. So thank you to everyone for being part of that Lord's Limited community. Shout out also to CoolStuffInc.com where they've got cool stuff in stock best place to go on the internet for anything you need magic the gathering related and you can use checkout code lol all caps to get five percent off anything you need in the store usually i'm shouting out booster boxes to store in the draft closets you know make sure you've got product to open and crack with friends but i think this weekend we're gonna shout out some singles they're like I'm, I'm fired up about competitive magic here maybe you are like a dabbler in standard and draft you've got dreams of being on the pro tour maybe you need to pick up some singles for that commander deck maybe you need to pick up some singles for fleshing out one of these sweet standard brews agatha's cauldron kind of a breakout you know a little little combo deck at the old worlds in the standard portion so a lot of sweet decks if you need to pick up some cars for those for your collection Please do all of that at CoolStuffInc.com and use checkout code LOL, all caps, when you do. Yeah. So, Ben, here in our notes where we've got some Vegas news to recap, you have the world's top eight first. I mean, world's schmurls, you know? like World's schmurls, I agree. The main event was the 100K. 100% co-sign that. But this world's top eight is stacked. Yeah. Yeah. So we've got Lorenzo Terlizzi, Greg Orange, Kazune Kasaka, Reed Duke, Simon Nielsen, John Emmanuel Dupra, Willie Adel, and Anthony Lee. I mean, come on. Is this Reed's second top eight in a year at the Pro Tour after after winning one? Like, that's incredible. He's just crushing. Also, I don't think Simon Nielsen has lost this year. <laughs> He's just... <laughs> 
in the top of every tournament. Yeah. Also, shout out to me. I had the privilege of losing to Jean-Emmanuel Dupra in uh, the finals of a 3-0 draft, uh, a traditional <laughs> traditional draft on MTG Arena. That's <laughs> savagely misplayed to uh, to throw against Yeah, shout, shout out to you for sure. So honorary ninth <laughs> place at World's Top 8 for Ben. And we will be talking about the two featured World's drafters today, getting our armchair quarterback glasses on or whatever. But I want to talk about the Vegas 100K. I mean, it was incredible. Like, I was completely against the odds, I would say, for so many of the people that we know that are in the content community to do so well on day one. In sealed, that's so hard to do. Yeah, you you have to open a good pool and play well. But more importantly, the thing that is out of your control, you have to open a good pool. Like, LSV, an insanely good Magic player, just, I think, opened a dud of a pool from what I saw on Twitter and didn't mm. make day two. Like, there's, there's a significant luck factor in sealed. Yeah, significant luck. And you have to build the right pool. You have to get lucky in the games as well. And you also have to play super well as well. So had a lot of people either, I think, six and two, seven and one going into day two. People like our friends over at Mystical Dispute Pod, Garrett Gardner and Carl Chase. Uh, we had, of course, Alex Nikolic, uh, Quarter Calls. We had folks from our Discord, Grim Monolith, Valley G619, DC Sports, aka Nicole Dubin, and Jason Yay, Jason ILTG. If you're ever on the 17 lanes leaderboard, you know that they are top of the heap in a lot of the stuff over, I think, primarily best of three for Jason a lot of the time. Jason Yay got top eight, is going to be on the Pro Tour and competing for that number one slot in the draft today. Yeah, also Alex finishing in 13th place, had a win and in match against Andrea Mangucci. Like, what is that like? I was watching on I Twitch. I was too. Were you really? I was watching yeah. on Twitch. There was like a phone cam of Alex and Andrea. It was just awesome to see Carl finishing in 16th. So many people in contention for the Pro Tour spots, so close. And Alex just displaying excellent sportsmanship with a handshake at the end. You just love to see it. There's such an awesome photo on Twitter of Alex shaking Andrea Mangucci's hand. And I'm sure, like, bittersweet for Alex, because I'm sure he would love to be on the Pro Tour. But just... An incredible weekend for all of those folks. So huge shout out to all of those people. I mean, he's like knocking on the door, clearly. Like he was he was doing a lot of the limited PTQs on uh, MTGO for a while and like getting really close to the top eight there a lot and then just sort of knocking on the door here. So I think it's only a matter of time for Alex before he will unfortunately have to sleeve up some sort of 60 card monstrosity sounds horrible sorry r.i.p to you alex but yeah so so incredible and shout out to esporter official on twitch for doing that phone stream i was like glued to it i was like i don't care this is grainy <laughs> this is you couldn't see a couldn't thing, see a thing. Uh, yeah <laughs> michael I loved every second of it. I, I did too just doing some really good like commentary for us to keep us posted hopefully uh he'll get to he's saying he wanted to do some of that for the top eight of the 100k today so hopefully the judges let him uh let him close enough to the tables to do that. Uh, shout out as well to all of the incredible players, just like sort of proving that, you know, I, we're talking all about the, the luck of these events, but you're seeing these crushers, these content crushers at the top. You're also seeing some like old guard pros at the top as well. Ben S, David Williams, Matt Nass, Tom Martell, Mangucci, we talked about making top eight, Jacob Wilson. Like there was that picture of Alex and Mengu's draft pod like before it happened and I was like is that David Williams in the back right <laughs> and he's like he's like a big poker pro too so he's like someone that I've like followed even before I got in back into magic someone I followed like watching world series of poker stuff back in the day a little starstruck about him so just incredible to see all of those big names at those top tables well I think one of the coolest things about 
like kind of I would say our crew, but not possessively, but like our our peers. That is a good way to frame it. The way you said it, doing so well against big names, like it makes me feel like I can do it too. You know, yeah. And for some reason, there's still like I don't really think there necessarily should be, but like you know, just cash the arena open for me personally. That feels like different than doing it in paper at an event mm-hmm. like this somehow still mentally and seeing so many of our peers do well makes me feel like I could do that too. You know, I, I think you don't from our conversations, but I would still, I think one time like to play on the pro tour. That is an, an idle dream of mine that I have about magic. Yeah. I mean, I'm not like against it. Like I'm going to play in the qualifier next weekend, <laughs> but, you sure. know, like, but that's more about my, like, I just, I'm kind of fired up in general about high stakes magic i prefer prefer to play it from the comfort of my computer chair but i'm just fired up about high stakes magic i was kind of bummed scg con pittsburgh is coming up in november and last time it was here it was team sealed and i got to do it with stunlock and strix familiar and we got to uh place i think eighth in that tournament which is super fun it's unfortunately gonna be modern but i'm like jones and fur for some team sealed, some some sealed, some something happening, uh, maybe a little closer to home. Um, but yeah, fired up about competitive magic for sure. Agree. That stakes is the word you said. Like there's just yeah. been some magic with stakes lately and it's so good. Speaking of, we've had a lot of questions about the Lords versus Resources showdown mm. being scheduled and we're still in the works. We're trying to figure it out. So if anybody's wondering if they missed it, we're still trying to schedule it. It, it is tricky to get six adults schedules lined up across <laughs> three we all different are. time zones. Yeah, I feel like we got really lucky for whatever the, the year and a half, two years. We we never missed a set. And now I think uh, I think that luck has perhaps run out a little bit in terms of coordinating everybody. But now that Worlds has died down, you know, Marshall was prepping for that. Um, I certainly Marshall and Luis were prepping for for various parts of this weekend. Um, I think now that that'll be over, hopefully when everyone's home and settled, we can get that on the calendar. Also, one last hero to really shout out with all of this is Mike Preventure from the Lords of Limited Discord, who is posting results round by round all weekend long. Just personally, I want to say a huge thank you because made my Saturday infinitely better at marching man not having to like dig through the standings every time and just being able to pop up in the lord's limited discord and cheer for folks while also seeing the results posted yeah that was really really fun so shout out to mike as well just another great perk of lord's limited discord and one last feel good story here another member of the lord's limited discord wise vehicle was attending magic con vegas and his son liam won a serialized secret layer swords of plowshares just an awesome feel good story as well so huge shout out to liam and congrats on the swords of plowshares I had a, a coaching session with uh, both of them, mostly with Liam that morning, uh, the morning before they they were, you know, they were in their hotel room on the bed, just Skyping in and um, chatted with them a little bit about, whoa, and I knew they were going to to crush a, a two-headed giant seal as well. And it really gave me like father-son squad goals. I was like, man, if this is <laughs> if this is what I have to look forward to with Jonah in like 12, 13 years, that'd be so sick. That'd be so, awesome. Yeah. Yeah, pretty, pretty, uh, pretty feel good story there. So we're gonna take a quick ad break and then we'll be back with some world's draft reviews. There's a nip in the air. The leaves are starting to turn. Pumpkin flavored everything is back, which means fall is in full swing. So my schedule is packed to the brim. School during the day, marching man in the evenings, competitions all day Saturdays, and podcasting on Sunday. I've got to fit in drafts wherever I can, which leaves little time for anything else. Well, you're in luck, because Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit, has wholesome, dietitian approved meals delivered straight to your door. You'll skip the grocery store, the chopping, the prepping, and cleaning up too. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are ready in just two minutes. 
So all you have to do is heat and enjoy and get back to trophying your drafts. Not only does Factor have great options for dinner, but they've got the rest of the day covered as well. For lunch, try some effortless meals like grain bowls and salad toppers that are ready to eat when you're on the go. They've also got breakfast covered with apple cinnamon pancakes and cheddar and egg bites, plus snacks and beverages like cold pressed juices, shakes and smoothies. These are food tokens that you'll be happy to pay two mana for. Head to factormeals.com slash LOL50 and use code LOL50 to get 50% off. That's code LOL50 at factormeals.com slash LOL50 to get 50% off. All right, Ben, I I know you want to rail. I know you want to rage and rail (laughs) about, I don't know, some, uh, some misconceptions about color pair power in this format what do you want to say yeah so we got this tweet from mtg arena that 12 players went 3-0 in their first wilds of eldraine draft and by color here were the 3-0 decks mono white mono black two white blues which is widely perceived i think to be the worst archetype by a lot in wilds of eldraine white red white green blue black blue red black red red green green white splashing red and blue green splashing white which i think if you so it's a Jund format, confirmed. <laughs> Jund format, confirmed. I mean, like, yeah, so there's several things. One, I think this is awesome for Wilds of Eldraine. Let's start with the positive. I think, and I think showing that pod play or high stakes magic, like high stakes drafts really does, I think draft is self-correcting, but the higher the skill level of the drafters you're drafting with, right? I, I don't know that draft is really that self-correcting, certainly in the best of one cues on yeah. Arena. I, I just don't think that's necessarily a part of it, but I think you still can see what the format is or could be if you're paying attention and not just buying into the data narrative. And I think, first of all, white blue, I want to shout out white blue just as an archetype that I've been drafting a lot lately, not even necessarily white blue splashing everything with the prophetic prisms, but just straight up blue white control, I think is a very strong archetype in the format. Like tapping matters fell a little bit of flat, but I don't think white blue as an archetype, as a control archetype fell flat. So it's just all kinds of things like that to figure out. And I've, ever since I saw this, my blood has just been boiling about the data, which is a rant we do, sure. not, we do not need to get into on the podcast. And they're not correlated at all. I'm just a no. maniac. But I don't think the data tells the whole story. And I think the data is telling the story so much in the limited community right now. And I think I do really, truly passionately feel that it is holding people back in some senses from getting better at limited magic. Yeah. Because you think it stops people from thinking outside the box a little bit? I think it stops people from thinking for themselves. Yeah, Yeah. that's what I think. I think it stops people from being creative, and I think it stops people from problem solving. And all of the things that make magic great, I think it is copying your neighbor's homework instead of doing the homework for yourself and learning as as a teacher. (laughs) All right. Uh, My my two cents, but mostly want to highlight that Wilds of Eldraine Draft is excellent and very well balanced, it seems, at the highest echelons of play so for day one we are going to get to uh peek over the shoulder of the reigning champ himself mr nathan stoyer who we've had the pleasure of watching draft many times before at these top level events uh ben we have not talked about this draft yet which i'm very excited about because i think we're going to be in great disagreement here about some of the choices so here we are we're sitting down for day one Day one draft with Nathan, he looks down at the following cards as options. At common, we've got a Torch the Tower, single red deal two, as bargain, if you bargain it, uh, deal three, 
creatures exiled and you scry one uh at uncommon he's got witch stalker frenzy three and red for the instant deal five to a creature costs one less to cast for each creature attacking there's up the beanstalk constructed staple one on a green for an enchantment when etbs or when you cast a spell with mana value five or more you draw a card and then his uh his enchanted tail slot is a card that I like quite a bit. I know you like quite a bit. This is Oversold Cemetery. It's one on a black for an enchantment. At the beginning of your upkeep, if you have four or more creatures in your graveyard, you get to return a creature from your graveyard to your hand. And his regular rare is a bit of a dud in the day in the Pyro Hammer, two red, red, four, four. Whenever an instant or sorcery spell you control the targets, only a single creature deals damage to that creature. Imidane deals that much damage to each opponent. Saying Imidane the Pyro Hammer is not an exciting rare has the ring of someone that has never frantic firebolted their opponent's creatures for 10 plus damage to the opponent's face. We need to get you on board. I don't think that gets me on board with Imidane, but that does feel like a real achievement unlocked. Are you telling me you've done that? Oh, absolutely. Where are the screenshots? Where are the screenshots? Listen, I've gone deeper than that. That's small potatoes. Small potatoes. Just give me a taste. Give me a little (laughs) something something on Twitter, please. Okay, so for me, I think Imidane's not in the conversation. I agree that it is not in the conversation here. I think, so let's start by narrowing down between the two red spells. Which do you like? It's so tough. Like putting me on the spot there. It's really close. I think I would take Witchstalker Frenzy, which I think is probably the pleb pick rather than the pro pick. But I just think the ceiling is so much higher on Witchstalker Frenzy. And you feel like the pick here is pretty clearly, as I see from the notes, Frenzy or Torch. Yeah, I would have both of those cards ahead of Up the Beanstalk, Oversold Cemetery, and Imitating the Pyro Hammer. Like, But I think a fair amount. The only argument I think you could make for taking Oversold Cemetery or Up the Beanstalk is that there's three red cards and you want to ship red cards as a result. But I think that's a weak argument because then if red's flowing, what are you going to do? Just keep passing red? Like, I think you're supposed to take the best card in the pack, pack one, pick one. And I think it is one of the two red cards for sure feel pretty strongly about that. So my argument, and that's that's part of my argument for up the beanstalk, but I agree, that's generally not the consideration. One of the things that makes me want to take up the beanstalk is that I have the same sort of decision paralysis as you between Frenzy and Torch. Like if I felt like I clearly knew which one was right, I would feel a little more confident in taking a red card. But don't you feel like both of them are better than Up the Beanstalk? I don't. I think Up the Beanstalk is really powerful and has a super high ceiling. And I also think that red is at this point, maybe, maybe it's still black, but I feel like red is kind of widely considered the best color in Wilds of Eldraine. I don't know what happened you know, with the protesting. I don't know what happened with Team Handshake. We'll certainly see some things that I think are, we must assume Team Handshake was high on that I am not a little later in the draft. But I think that it's reasonable to come into the draft assuming red will be contested, right? Similar to how we felt about black in LTR and think that you can get into green and up the beanstalk is like a really good build around to start with for a green deck. So not that I think that this is clearly the right pick. And I do think Oversold Cemetery probably a little bit more trinkety if you're not going to take just straight up a red removal spell. Yep. So, but I think if you wanted to take beanstalk, frenzy or torch here, all three of those are right. And I don't think the up the beanstalk pick here is crazy, as you said before our show notes. I mean, not crazy, but I think you're taking a noticeable hit in card quality. Are you ready for some data? 
it's not a noticeable hit in card quality. That's I don't think that's a fair. That's that smells to me like someone who's never popped off with up the beanstalk. Uh, no, I have popped off with up the beanstalk only once, albeit. But some seventeen lands data for you here. Which dark why, why are you doing this to me? <laughs> Because I want to tilt you. Okay. <laughs> 59% game in hand win rate for Witchdogger Frenzy. 574 for Up the Beanstalk. And Torch the Tower, 59.8. So it must be the right pick. Must be the right pick. Thank you for doing that that great work and research for us. Shout out. I'm doing just lots of shout outs today. Shout out to Sirkovitz for doing a, a sweet thread on um, cards that change value in top players' hands. And one of the cards that the things that really jumped out to me in that was the massive bump that Knight of the Sweets Revenge got in the hands of top players. Ooh, like yeah. it went from something like in the, I don't know, 40th range of top on commons to the to in the top 10, something like number seven or number six. Um, so Knight of Sweets Revenge is the three and a green enchantment, makes a food, and then all of your food taps for a single green, and then you can pay five GG, uh, sacrifice it, and uh, all of your creatures get plus X, plus X until end of turn, where X is the number of foods you control. So Knight of Sweets Revenge is another card that's going to drastically warp your pick order, right? That's why in the hands of top players, I assume that it performs much better because people know like, okay, when to take it. I'm not splitting my, you know, tokens between rolls and food. I'm clearly doing the food thing, whatever. I think Up the Beanstalk has a similar sort of like Okay, I'm going to change some things about it. And so the data, Mr. Werney, I know you love data, but the data is not going to tell the whole story here. I agree. That was tongue in cheek for sure, if that didn't come across. Yeah. And I think what this pick really says to me, and like no hyperbole at all, is that I would say maybe taking a hit in power level for some preference, like that you sure. maybe, maybe want to avoid. Like, I don't think it's wrong, a wrong pick. You know what I mean? Like it's within the realm of reason, but shows maybe I, I either I really love this card, maybe maybe from my constructed experiences with it, who knows? Mm. But that I see this as a powerful card that I can build around and maximize. I, I would buy that for sure. And, and maybe in testing, like green was better, and in pod play, the aggro deck suffered a little bit. Like there's all kinds of things there that we can't possibly know because we haven't done pod play. You know what I mean? So I do think it's within the realm of possibility. Just personally, I would have taken one of the two red spells, probably Witch Stalker Frenzy. Yeah. All right. So Nathan has up the Beanstalk here. Pack one, pick two. I think it really comes down to uh, either a green two drop at uncommon or a green two drop at rare. The uncommon is welcome to Sweet Tooth. One on a green for a saga. Chapter one, you get a one one human. Chapter two, you get a food token. Chapter three, uh, you get to put X plus one plus one counters on target creature, where X is one plus the number of foods you control. And then the rare is Bramble Familiar, one on a green for a 2-2. Two, two. It's a mana dork, tap sad green. And you pay one on a green to tap, discard a card, return Bramble Familiar to its owner's hand. And then its sorcery is Fetch Quest, five green green for an adventure, mill seven cards, then put a creature enchantment or land card from among the milled cards onto the battlefield. What are your thoughts here? My thoughts are you could have given me a hundred guesses at the name of the adventure on Bramble oh, Familiar, yeah. and I would have never guessed it. Yeah, me too. Me too. <laughs> I do not know. I think like, and I definitely knew the names of the adventures in Eldraine. I don't know any of them in this format, and I don't know why. <laughs> so I think you're always picking a green card here, regardless of what you did pack one, which I think is good for the discussion of the draft going forward, because you're mm-hmm. incentivized to be green. These are two great green cards. There's not a good red follow up to either of the red removal spells if you'd started there. And I think between these two cards, you're, you're deciding between raw power and synergy. I think Bramble Familiar is more raw power. Welcome to Sweet Tooth is more synergistically powerful in the food decks. But I agree with Bramble Familiar here, which is what Nathan 
took, I think, and the tipping point for me is that you have the chance to cast the seven mana adventure to combo with your up the beanstalk. Yes, exactly. Which is something that I don't feel like Marshall and Paul ever mentioned. They, they did. Kept, they they, they did. did. I, I feel like they were so hyped on Nathan needing to grab something expensive, some more five drops or whatever for the up the beanstalk and never really took into account that he had this built in seven mana spell. Okay, so they did. So yeah, so Nathan does take Bramble Familiar. I agree with that for all the reasons you said. Pick three, he sees these cards as options. Uh, red card, Mary Bard's a little too early for that three two that can put a young hero on something. Similarly, a little too early for Return Triumphant, the one on a white return a three MV or a less creature from the graveyard to the battlefield with a young hero roll on it. Uh, to bop around somewhere else, there's a Tenacious Tome Seeker, two in a blue for a 3-2 with bargain. Uh, when it ETBs, if you bargained it, you get to return an instant or sorcery from your graveyard to your hand. And then there's also a Sir Armont the Redeemer, uh, three green white for a 4-4. Four, four. Enchanted creatures you control get plus one, plus one. And when it enters the battlefield, you put a monster roll token on another target creature you control. Yeah, this card's excellent. I think Sir Armont is the clear best card in the pack. And certainly starting green card, green card is a, a clear follow-up here for me, I think. Maybe you play it, maybe you don't, but it is definitely the best card in the pack. And about the time after you're solidified in green that you're willing to branch out for a gold card. Pack four is pretty weak flat power level nathan just stays on color with a red tooth genealogist that's the two and a green two three when it enters the battlefield you get to put a what is it royal i think royal roll token on another creature you control pick five is one i really want to unpack so here are some cards he sees as options there's a rat catcher trainee that's the one in a red two one as first strike on your turn uh, and it's got the adventure for two in a red to make two rats at instant speed there's a Johan's stopgap, three and a blue, uh, bounce a non-land permanent at sorcery speed and draw a card. It also has bargain to reduce its cost by two. There's a Toonville guide. This is three and a white for a two, three flyer uh, as a celebration trigger. If you celebrate, you know, it gets plus one plus oh and lifelink until end of turn. And in the uncommon slot, there's a Johan Apprentice Sorcerer. This is two red blue for a two five. Uh, you can look at the top card of your library and once per turn, you can play an instant or sorcery off the top of your library as if it were in your hand. Thoughts, questions, comments, concerns about this pick, Ben? So many thoughts. So I think we should start with what Nathan selected, I think, before we before we dive into our thoughts. Nathan selected two and veil guide here to follow up and stay in green white with the Sir Armand the Redeemer. I, I don't love that pick. I think two and veil guide is a, a pretty poor card in the format. I think generally a card you're hoping not to play. But then I watched round one where Nathan made them look like Baneslayer Angels. He had two copies of two and veil guide and I was thinking, well, maybe this guy's on another level than me. But then I think in subsequent games, you saw the drawback of two and veil guide, which is you're tapping out for a four mana two, three flyer that's vulnerable to removal and like kind of hard to turn on and just was on the back foot. I think two and fail guide is generally a card you're hoping to not play most of the time in the format. And and maybe like he, he did manage to turn it into an excellent card. So again, maybe this is something in a testing team or in pod play. This is the type of card that gets better. So certainly willing to acknowledge that maybe there's some stuff going on there that we don't know about, especially seeing how good it looked in, in the games where Nathan steamrolled with it. I think the other cards are enough good in Ratcatcher Trainee and Johan Apprentice Sorcerer. Like we talk about the power level gap between cards when you want to hedge. Like if we're just like sticking to letter grades in the context of the format, I think Two and Veil Guide is kind of like a D. Yeah. Johan Apprentice Sorcerer, probably a B, certainly in blue red, maybe, maybe bordering on B plus. And Ratcatcher Trainee, just like a solid B minus C plus type card, like I think starts to pull you into red, like certainly seeing it pick five. 
Like that is kind of late for a rat catcher trainee. And so when you're thinking about, we talk about clocking things or hedging or taking a flyer as a phrase we get a question a lot about sometimes in the Lords of Limited Discord. This is a spot where you want to take a flyer, I think, on branching out into another color here for several reasons. There's, there's reasons to take a flyer or to branch out into another color. And I think the reason is you're, you're trying to up your power level, right? The more, the higher your power level initially, the more willing you are to try to stay on rails to capture that power level you got early. Nathan's got a fine start, but not a nuts start by any stretch of the imagination. Mm-hmm. Like at this point, probably going to be green, but like doesn't have to be if something else is wide open, but certainly not committed to white, right? You have up the beanstalk, bramble familiar, red tooth genealogist or green cards, and then Sir Armand the Redeemer touching on white as well as green. And I think this is the time to hedge because if if you take two and veil guide here and you pass these red and red blue cards, it's so hard to then steer the ship in another direction. And we have seen from Nathan's drafts at other times that he is still willing to pivot late. So I, th- mm-hmm. I don't think this is necessarily locking him in. But if you think about you're not willing to pivot here for Johan's apprentice sorcerer rat catcher trainee, when are you willing to pivot off of this? You know, that that's the type of question I think you need to ask yourself. Yeah, cosign all that uh, 100%. I think you've outlined that really well. I think something that you're hinting at that I just want to make sure is clear. It's clear to me based on the two and guide he takes here, the one he takes later, and the fact that he ends up building green, white, splash, black, as opposed to green, black, splash, white, means that either he... Team Handshake or both are higher on Tuinville Guide than the rest of the limited community, I would say. Yeah, I think I think that is a, a reasonable conclusion for sure. But I, I still think the gap in power level is high enough here that I personally would take Ratcatcher training here, certainly after having started with a red card. But I think even if you take Nathan's route through the draft, I like taking Ratcatcher training here because it, it gives you outs to just go into Red Green Beatdown, the Rat Catcher Trainee plays excellently with Red Tooth Genealogist that you have so far, like going two drop, three drop into a three, two first striker. Like that's a really powerful curve to start games with. I just think it offers you a lot here. And because I am much more excited about Up the Beanstalk than you, I would personally be on Johan Apprentice Sorcerer here with the thought of, and I think this is another thing I want to talk about with like when you're making these sort of hedge picks is the question I always pose to people I'm doing coaching sessions with or to myself is what is the path of the draft where this card makes my deck, right? When I take Johan, what am I picturing? And I have a very clear picture in my head of, oh, I'm going to draft green, blue, splash, red adventures. Like Teamer Adventures is a great home for Johan and it's a great home for up the beanstalk because you get uh, what's it called? Baluna's Gatekeepers, the six mana, six five that has the adventure, the one in a blue bounce of thing. So you get a big body that you want. That's also a cheap way to have some interaction along the way, has some spell synergy with uh, Johan as well off the top of your library. Right. And so I think another really interesting thing here is that you and I are hedging in different directions. Yes. And I think Based on how highly we're valuing up the Beanstalk, and it sounds like you're higher on the card than me, and I can pick the deck you're describing, Teamer Adventures, I've seen, I haven't played it yet, but I can picture it also, and that seems super reasonable to me. Like, I I wouldn't argue that Ratcatcher Trainee is right over Johan's Apprentice Sorcerer here. Like, it's just what style of deck do you see yourself ending up in? And personally, I'm more excited about like the no nonsense, like low to the ground, really want to be on board on turn two, want to maximize that red tooth genealogist I just took. 
and red green beatdown and also just getting into the the best color i think and potentially having more wiggle room I do think between the two, you know, if we want to talk about floor ceiling, Johan Apprentice Sorcerer is certainly the higher ceiling pick, like much higher ceiling. Ratcatcher Trainee is a higher floor pick here. And I think of the two hedges, Ratcatcher Trainee more likely to end up in your final deck. But if Johan Apprentice Sorcerer does end up in your final deck, like certainly like through the roof value if you manage to draft that style of deck here. But regardless, I think from my perspective and my evaluation of Toonvale Guide, it is right to take either of the two cards here over to to unveil guide. I, I agree. I agree. So uh, that sort of sets Nathan's path a little bit. I mean, he doesn't see much power the rest of this pack. Pick six, he gets the Iron Crag. That's the rare two mana rock that if you play a legendary, uh, you have the opportunity to turn it into a big equipment. If you had taken Ratcatcher Trainee, if he had been on some sort of a red path here, he does get a grabby giant pick three. We shouted this out last week as a, a real overperformer at common, the four mana four three with reach that makes a treasure as it's a two mana adventure. Well, and even for Johan too, like, yeah. there's no reason you can't end up base red, green, splash blue, like with, mm-hmm. the, with the grabby giant and the treasures to help enable you to. And like, this is kind of results oriented here, but this is the reason to hedge, right? Like you don't know what's going to happen in the rest of the draft. And then all of a sudden, like because you took two unveil guide, you don't really get a good pick here. Whereas if you hedge and that stuff flows, which it does here, then all of a sudden you've got options. And we know in draft that options are powerful. Yeah, I I will say I didn't at the time and still don't hate the Iron Crag pick because if he's thinking about, I mean, he's already got the seven mana adventure. He's got up the beanstalk, so he knows he's going to be prioritizing some high mana value stuff. I don't think taking a two mana rock is a bad move here. Right. Or already has the legendary creature too and Sir Armand the Redeemer yeah. to, to potentially turn it on. Yeah, that's reasonable, but I think would be more excited about either of our two hedge picks prior into Grabby Giant than I am yes. about Toon Bell Guide into Iron Crag. Yes, I, I agree. Um, so escapes pack one, like knowing he's in green, uh, he's got to figure out what his second color is, right? He's, I think, feels like he's more green white than either of us would because of the stock he's putting into Unville Guide. And honestly, the stock, I don't put that much stock into Sir Armand because in my mind, like up the beanstalk and Bramble Familiar are kind of in one camp, this sort of like go over the top value kind of deck. And then I've got Sir Armand and Redtooth Genealogist in this camp. And then I guess also Toonville Guide in this more beat down curve out camp. And those are kind of at odds with each other, I would say. Yes, I agree with that. And I think if I had been navigating the draft myself and hedge Ratcatcher Training into Grabby Giant, that next pack, pack, you get to pick up a Boundary Lands Ranger. Like I think I would have been looking red green beat down at the Mm. end of pack one personally. So a couple different routes you could have taken through pack one, I think, for Nathan. But I think overall, largely, the packs were not great after the first four picks for anyone. Correct. Yeah, pretty weak after that. Um, and I think you, you might expect that with everybody just like correctly taking the most powerful cards out of the packs early. But still, I think then the packs themselves broke in a pretty weak fashion. So for pack two and three, we're just going to jump ahead and, and tell a story here uh, to a couple picks. So he starts off pack two with a couple bangers, I would say. He gets a Really solid two drop for green in tough cookie to start things out. That's the two mana. Two, two, it's a food. It makes a food. You pay two and a green uh, to animate 
a non-creature artifact to a 4-4 until end of turn. And then pick two, it gets to pick up a removal spell and Curse of the Werefox. Uh, works well with the roll or a synergy that he's got a little bit with Sir Armont. Well, and fills a huge hole in his deck, right? Like at the end of pack one, has no removal. So that's high on the list of things he needs. And he correctly, I think, picks that here. Pick two, even with some other cards available to him. And then in pick three in pack two, I think he steers himself a little bit in the wrong direction here, perhaps giving a little bit more weight to those white cards as we talked about. So cards he sees as options. There's a prophetic prism, the two mana artifact that draws a card when it ETBs and lets you filter mana. Stockpiling celebrant, two and white for the three two. When it enters the battlefield, you can pick up another non-land permanent you control if you do use scry two. So edge wall pack for the red life. That's the three and a red three three menace makes a rat as well. Stab wound, uh, two and a black enchantment. Gives a creature minus two, minus two, and at the beginning of Enchanted Creatures, Controller's Upkeep, they lose two life. And Knight of the Sweets Revenge for the green life. I know it's a different green life than he's living currently with the rolls, but it does give him some food options and some ramp, some big options if he's doing that thing with the up the beanstalk. I think he has a, a lot of different pads that this pick presents. And I think his selection of Stockpiling Celebrant tells us a lot about where he wants to go, where he thinks he's going. Where would, like, given what Nathan had taken, let's say you have to have all of the cards he'd taken up to this point, what would you take? I think I would take Prophetic Prism or Knight of Sweets Revenge, but I don't have strong feelings about the pick. But I guess the thing I feel most clearly is I think one of the best and or worst things about my draft at this point is that I don't feel great about my power level. So Mm -hmm. I think I would be wanting to try to stay open for opening a good card pack three or like green kind of felt cut in pack one. So like trying to leave myself open as much as possible to getting lucky, getting a good card pass to me. So I I would not really want to lock in white with stockpiling celebrant largely also because it doesn't work super well with anything that I have so far. And you can pick up up the beanstalk, right? That's a cantrip. And you can pick up Bramble Familiar. I know Bramble Familiar can pick itself up, but you can do it without the cost of discarding a card to then get the adventure. So it doesn't do nothing so far. I guess. I, yeah, I don't have strong feelings about this pick. Like you could hand me a stockpiling celebrant. I think I personally would probably take Prophetic Prism, but I'm curious. Sounds like you do have some thoughts. Well, my thoughts are just that I think the celebrant locks you into a second color when you don't need to which is why I prefer, I think I would prefer Night of Sweets Revenge personally, because it, again, goes in line with what I'm thinking about with the Up the Beanstalk and the Bramble Familiar in terms of the the ramp and the the late game of it all, um, or Prophetic Prism to stay a little bit more open. I just don't, I don't know, the stockpiling celebrant, green, white, I don't think gives the weight to Up the Beanstalk and Familiar that I kind of want my draft to go. And maybe Nathan doesn't, and he wants to lean more in the green-white beats of it all, um, and that's why he takes Celebrant. But that's not where I want to go. Well, so I think another question that you pose a lot is, if you're in a color or you're doing a thing, have you seen the cards you expect to see for that color? Up to this point, we're like kind of midway into pack two now. I mean, not we're a ways into pack two and we've seen zero Hamlet gluttons. Does that concern you at all? Yeah, because I think that would be the card I would want most with the type of deck you're describing that would want Knight of Sweets Revenge here. 100% he wants Hamlet gluttons. And yeah, it does concern me a little bit that we haven't seen one, but that doesn't necessarily, that's only one common. We did just see, just get a Curse of the Werefox, you know, like that's like another one of the things that I think Nathan was really looking for. He's going to see a Root Rider Fawn next. 
not that these are like incredible cards, but you know, outside of Hamlet Glutton, I don't, and maybe Brave the Wild, Screen isn't doing a ton of great stuff at Common. Right, sure. But no, that's a, that's a good point. So uh, he, you know, he, he's bopping around to some black, maybe a back for seconds, pick six, and Voracious Vermin, pick five. He gets a second up the Beanstalk, pack two, pick eight, which I was really excited about. Um, important to note that pick 10, the other Sir Armont did not wheel, which he saw um, in that pack where he took Curse of the Werefox. And then pack three just starts out, I mean, beautifully. Pick one, Candy Grapple. Pick two, Agatha's Champion. The five mana, four, four, Trample with Bargain. If you bargain it, it fights something. So that's another removal spell for him and a five mana value spell for his two up the Beanstalks. And kind of like just mid to good common and Hollow Scavenger. Pick three, keeps him green. Uh, that's a three mana, three, two with the Adventure Make a Food. Pack three, pick four. Has to be one of the best rares in the set. Mosswood Dread Knight. So one in a green, three, two trample. Uh, when it dies, you get to be able to cast it from uh, as its adventure uh, until the end of your next turn. And its adventure is one in a black, uh, draw a card, lose a life. I mean, just a, a banger of a card. And he, he already has his toes dipped a little bit into black and maybe even more than just a toe with that candy grapple pack three, pick one. Yeah, I'm thrilled about seeing Mosswood Dread Knight here for sure. And then that leads him into pick five where he has the option of Utopia Sprawl for some fixing, and I guess I'm not quite sure if he knows he needs to splash around, because I would be thinking, certainly after Grapple into Mosswood Dread Knight, I'm green-black. Is that not what you're thinking at this point? That's what I was thinking as well also, but then I went back to look at his pool of cards in the draft, and he he can't make playables on green-black. He will have to splash. Right. He will have to splash, but I think... I would rather, I mean, again, it's the weight that he gives to Inville Guides that I would rather build the deck green, black, white. I think I would end up splashing. I sort of went and, and built my own version of his deck at the end of it. I would be green, black, splashing his two five drops, Sir Armont, and he gets a charmed clothier late. That's the five mana, three, three flyer. Puts a roll token on something to give himself that that black early and certainly give himself access to Mosswood Dread Knight's adventure as reliably as possible. So here he takes the Utopia Sprawl, which I guess it works in that sense of he knows he has to splash. I might like just picking up a, a good two drop here in Minstrosity. There's also a Lord Skitter's Butcher for him at Uncommon. I like that a little bit less. But yeah, it just seems to me like, you know, Nathan's deck... For all the power and the excitement I had about the double up the Beanstalk and the, the late Moss with Dread Knight, it's a little clunky looking. He's certainly playing some cards that I would hope to not play, like the two Tuinville guides he has. He's playing a Dark Tutelage. That's a sort of bad uh, Phyrexian Arena variant or like Dark Confidant on an enchantment variant. And his mana base is not good. Off the heels of our last episode, you know, he's nine forests, five plains, three swamps, with Utopia Sprawl, Scarecrow, and Root Rider Fawn as his fixing. Yeah, it's a tough looking list, I think, if you if you look at it. I mean, there's no way around it. I mean, it makes sense. Like, there's some life gain in the Two and Veil guides to help support the Dark Tutelage, but you're like comboing with cards that are not great in the format. Ooh, but then, right. I, like I said, when I watched the games, and like he stomped people in in the first game with two unveil guides. And I was like, okay, maybe he knows something I don't. <laughs> but then I think it bore itself out that the, the cards largely, I think, performed more closer to how you and I are evaluating them. And it, it was a tough draft for Nathan. Uh, I don't know. It's impossible to say what would have happened if you had gone into right. red like I wanted to, or maybe teamer like you wanted to. But I think the one thing that 
you can say looking at Nathan's deck here is it it's a bit at odds with itself. Like if you're valuing up the beanstalk that highly, you weren't able to really maximize up the beanstalk. Like you, ha- they're just kind of cards in this deck. Like did not get near the ceiling of that card. And I think that bore itself out in terms of his record. You know, he stumbled a little bit um, in the the feature match that we saw, and ultimately went uh, went one and two in the pod. Yeah. All right. That gets us on to day two. Draft two, where Watsy, I'm sure, heard your feedback and put the number one ranked player at the end of day one as our featured drafter, which is Anthony Lee. Anthony Lee, six and oh, and one, our only undefeated player. And I was looking at the pod and he was sandwiched between Reed Duke and Gab Nassif. And I was like, oh, so we're certainly going to watch Reed or Gab as the featured drafter today. But no, Anthony Lee, they did it. There we go. Some, <laughs> some, some credit to the actual undefeated player. They get to be on stream. You love to see it. Yeah. All right. So pack one, pick one. Anthony sits down. And I think Anthony's draft largely goes very smoothly through the first four picks. So we're just going to kind of fast forward here. Pack one, pick one. Yenna, red tooth regent, the rare as the best card in the pack. That is the four, four green, white rare that can let you copy enchantments. Pack two, you follow that up with a red tooth vanguard. That's the one in a green three one that you can pay two when it's in your graveyard to return it to your hand whenever an enchantment enters the battlefield into the control on your side. There's some other blue red cards in that pack, but I think you're following up Yenna with red tooth vanguard there always. Mm-hmm. Pick three, you're thrilled to see a cooped up to combo with Yenna. That is one of the best cards to pair with Yenna, the white removal spell that you pay one and a white for and enchant a creature. Then enchant a creature can't attack or block. And then you can pay two and a white to exile and enchant a creature. And then pick four, Oof. you are beyond hyped to see Princess Takes Flight. That's the saga that chapter one exiles a creature, chapter two gives a creature plus two plus two and flying, and then chapter three returns the creature back to gameplay, but you're no, trying no, there's to... There's no chapter three. It's chapter one, <laughs> chapter two. <laughs> chapter two, and then do something with... Chapter two, and flight. then, yeah, pick it up or sacrifice it. End of story. <laughs> we don't know how the story ends. It never happens. Chapter three never happens. And if you want to see mass confusion on my face, check out our YouTube Check out the channel. YouTube. It's like, like wait, and subscribe. Did I, did I read this card wrong? <laughs> yeah. And I think green white is the best home for Princess Takes Flight. So just absolutely thrilled to see that there. I mean, that's talk about combo with Yenna. I mean, copying Princess Takes Flight. Hello. Yeah. Who needs to get rid of the Princess Takes Flight? Just two of them will end the game quite nicely. Mm -hmm. All right. Moving on to pack one, pick five. After I think starting green, white on rails for the most part. So there's an evolving wilds here. Titanic growth, the one in a green plus four plus four trick in green. There's break the spell as a white card, single white to destroy an enchantment. If you blew up one of your own, you get to draw a card. There's warehouse tabby, the black one, one that can get death touch. And whenever an enchantment goes into the graveyard from play on your side, you get a 1-1 rat. And there's also a couple red cards in the pack here. Merry Bards, the 2 and a red 3-2 that can put a young hero roll on something if you pay 1. And Grand Ball Celebrant, the 1 and a red 2-2 that celebrates to get plus 1, plus 1 and trample. Yeah, I'm in lockstep here with Anthony. I'm curious to hear your thoughts um, with the Evolving Wilds. I really like this because just like as we've seen, as we talked about last week, power level in this format is rampant and having access to off-color adventures is nice. Having access to, you know, it's possible he gets pushed off of green and stays base white, gets into another color, but really wants to still play Yenna. Great. Like I think Evolving Wilds has a lot of power at this point in the draft for him that I I, I like taking it. I agree. I love the Evolving Wilds pick here. Mostly just want to tell a story here to set up a a future pick that I think I really want to go deep on. Perfect. I think one thing you should do here while you're picking Evolving Wilds, which I agree with Anthony is the correct pick for all the reasons you listed. I think you should be a little worried 
that there's no good green or white cards in the pack for you. Like literally Titanic growth and break the spell is it. And then I think you, as a result, should be clocking, which means taking note of Mary Bards and Grand Ball Celebrant as, you know, good red aggressive cards to maybe pair with your white, what you mentioned. I mean, like you are pretty heavily white and red white is one of the best decks in the format. So just noting that, okay, maybe red's flowing. Maybe I will pivot into red white. Yeah, you don't have to tell me I'm, I'm Ethan Boros Sachs, baby. <laughs> All right, moving on to pick six, see the following cards as options. Again, we're back to a bunch of commons here. Largely there's protective parents. That's two and a white for the three, two dies. You put a young hero roll token on something huge flavor win there. Frostbridge guard, the one and a white two, two, and you pay two and a white to tap target creature. There's eerie interference at uncommon. That's the fog variant that I loved in the crash course that I will never cast. <laughs> are you finally, are you finally off this I've come, effect? I've, I've come to terms with it. Yeah. Okay. Not a good card. Until it's reprinted in three years and I have to argue with you again. Exactly. <laughs> and then two more cards that I think we are largely clocking here. Edgewall pack, three and a red for a three, three menace that makes a one, one rat when it ETBs and flick a coin, two and a red for the deal one make a treasure draw card. Yeah, this is one where I might, you know, if I'm if I am fully and certainly with this hindsight of clocking the red to tell the story of the pick we're going to see in a couple uh, a couple picks, I might speculate on the edge ball pack here. These white cards are so medium. Like I guess you take Frostbridge guard cuz it's a 2, but like these are D D minus filler level cards in my mind that I don't care about. I'm only taking them to get deep like By taking Frostbridge Guard here, I'm taking the stamp of, let me just get out of pack one deep in white and I'll figure out the rest in pack two. I think that's the reason to not hedge. Yeah. Okay. I think that's the reason to not hedge. I still don't think you hedge here yet. You could. I think it would be reasonable to, but I think it's also super reasonable to take Frostbridge Guard. I don't think one way or the other is is right or wrong. I like the Frostbridge Guard pick because this is similar to what we talked about with Nathan's draft, where like the reason to hedge is that you don't have the world's strongest start. Uh-huh. But you do have a pretty banger start here in like Yenna into Red Tooth Vanguard, Cooped Up, Princess Takes Flight. That's high power level and high synergy, all of the cards on the same page. So I think giving yourself a chance for that to work out here is worth it over over hedging. Does that make sense? Yeah, that definitely makes sense for sure. All right, so moving on to pick seven, you see a pack with the following cards commons there's diminishing witch that's the two and a blue three two that you can bargain to make a cursed roll token <laughs> shout out to carl who <laughs> he, he registered draft. in his first draft right where he almost three owed he registered a plus 40 card deck with five copies of diminishing <laughs> witch and three copies of hatching plans left a fourth in the sideboard right uh-huh. Or I think didn't, I think, or left or a fourth didn't, hatching didn't plans on the board, or didn't, didn't pick, pick a fourth, a fourth. hatching plans. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, diminishing, which basically says three, two, sacrifice hatching plans, draw three cards, because that's <laughs> the reason you put this card in your deck. For sure. So there's a diminishing witch here. There's a minecart, Daredevil, continuing to see the red. That's the two and a red, four, two, and adventures to give a creature plus two plus one as a combat trick. And there's an evolving wilds, a common as well, the fetch land. And then in the uncommons, there's spreading seas, the one in a blue uncommon that cantrips and turns a land into an island. And then there's Tempest Heart, which is three and a green for a three, four, and has the adventure for one in a blue to draw two cards, discard two cards. Remember when we wanted that to be called Frant Elk Search? I don't remember that, but that's a banger name. <laughs> All these cards are highly medium. I mean, Minecart Daredevil might be the best. And so another red card to add to the story we're telling here, but just thrilled again for the same reasons 
to see Evolving Wilds pick five. Thrilled to see another one pick seven. Yes, completely cosign Evolving Wilds, I think, is 100% the right pick here. And that is what Anthony Lee took. Pick eight. This is the one I want to get into. So there's a Conceited Witch in the pack at common. That's two and a black for the two, three menace. And you can pay black to put a Wicked Roll on something. And then you're diving into three uncommons still left in the pack. There's Griffin Area, one and a white for the enchantment that at the beginning of your end step, if you gained three life, you can make a two, two flying Griffin. There's Ash Party Crasher, the red, white, gold card, two, two haste. And when it celebrates, if at the beginning of combat you've celebrated, it gets a plus one, plus one counter. And then there's Dutiful Griffin, three white, white for a four, four flyer. And you can pay two and a white to sacrifice two enchantments to return it from your graveyard to your hand. Yeah. So I think, so uh, confusing to me first, we'll talk about what Anthony picked, which is Griffin Airy, which is quite confusing to me because I think Griffin Airy is, is niche at best. I've had, I've had one deck where it was good and that deck was black green and Griffin Airy was my only splash card. I was just making buckets of food and Griffin Airy was good there. I think that's probably where Griffin Airy is at its best is not in a base white deck, but as a splash. So I was sort of surprised to see that as the pick here. And there's dutiful Griffin, which you could say like has some synergy because of enchantment stuff, right? You could sack a princess takes flight maybe. And dutiful Griffin has largely panned out to be again, filler with a capital F. Um, in this format, you almost always, I think, just want Charmed Clothier over it, the five mana, three, three flyer at common that puts a roll token because it celebrates it as roll or a synergy, whatever. I don't think either of those holds a candle to what you get in terms of opportunity cost by taking Ash here. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think it's interesting between Ash and Dutiful Griffin for all the reasons you outlined about Dutiful Griffin, right? If you're if you're not taking Ash, you should take Griffin because it combos with all of your enchantment cards. Like, who knows? Maybe you have a roll plus a princess takes flight. It's just another way to get princess takes flight off the battlefield, which is very important if you're going to maximize that card. Mm-hmm. So I think could make a case for Dutiful Griffin here. But I think all of that pales in comparison to the potential upside of Ash. Like, this is the time to hedge for several reasons. One, green-white has been drying up since our first four picks that were excellent, right? Like, we've had good picks to feel good about what we're doing, like, but the double well, green wild, specifically has yes, dried up. Yes, yes, yes. Green specifically has dried up, for sure. So we're potentially looking for escape routes here, mm-hmm. and Ash is a great one. Your heavy-white... The only like you're certainly willing to abandon Red Tooth Vanguard, which was your second pick. You have the ability to splash Yenna Red Tooth Regent if you would like. And Red White is one of the best decks in the format here. So you've seen some red the last few picks when there have been largely empty packs for you in green white. And even even if you think you're whatever, 10% to play Ash here, which I think could be higher depending on how you want to draft if you want to try to pivot into red white, even on the 10% chance that you're going to play it by passing it here, you know you've shipped some red in the last three packs and maybe your neighbor's solidly in red and trying to decide on their second color and you put your neighbor into red white, which is an absolute disaster for you for pack two because then they're snapping up some white cards that you're going to want in pack two. I just think there's numerous reasons to speculate on Ash Party Crasher here. Yeah, I totally agree. And I, I think think this is, I mean, I really liked what Anthony did in most of this draft. This one, I think, is a pretty big mistake. Obviously, though, it worked out well. Top eight, baby. I know, I know. So moving on, picks nine, rounds out with an Archon's Glory. What Pick a 10. gift with the with the Princess Takes Flight. I mean, Archon's Glory. I got a mea culpa here for me. You know, a few weeks ago, I was like, oh, I don't really get Archon's Glory. It's high <laughs> up in the data. Oh my God, do I get Archon's Glory. I love this card. It's so good. Like if you are even, if your opponent is even close, if they're even thinking, if there's a whisper of a thought in their head that they're racing you, Archon's Glory says, no, not today. (laughs) 
<laughs> Today is not that day. Also, if your opponent is slightly afraid that you might be able to kill them, Archon's Glory says, yes, I get to kill y- yes, you. Yes, I can, actually. <laughs> uh, pick 10, Savior of the Sleeping. Pick 11, Savior of the Sleeping. That's the 2-3 Vigi. It gets powered up when enchantments go to the yard. Largely, whatever. Mm-hmm. Pick 12, there's a Frostbridge Guard. Pick 13, Rare Drafting that Ristic Study Commander Value. Stamped, baby. And pick 14, Intangible Virtue. So at the end of pack one, you know your base white. You've got a really powerful card in Yenna, and you can play anything. World is your yeah. oyster thanks to these two Evolving Wilds. This is a great start for you. I do think pretty big mistake to not have the ability to pivot into red-white here after taking Ash Party Crasher, though. You're, you're just closing roots off for yourself. And well, it's interesting. Like Honestly, the, the Ash of it all would have made pack two pick one a lot harder because I think it, it comes down to... Decadent Dragon is his rare. It's a two red, red, four, four flyer. I think it also has trample. And when you attack, uh, you get to make a treasure and it's got the adventure for two and a black instant speed. You exile the top two cards of your opponent's library. And uh, for long as they remain there, you can play them as if they were your own. And then there's a second copy of Princess Takes Flight as well. So without the Ash, a clear Princess Takes Flight with Ash, you're really pulled. I don't know. I mean, there's, there's something to be said about having the second Princess Takes Flight because you already want to sort of warp your pick order a little bit, like, you know, bumping up celebrants and anything with bargain. The second princess takes flight, really? You know, it's just like, okay, cool. Now I'm happy to take hits and power level for things like that, you know? But I, I off, this is a question again, you want to ask yourself if you're hashtag delaying the decision, if you're getting deep into a color, why are you doing so? If not for decadent dragon, <laughs> then what? If not for one of the best cards, then what? And you also have this sick option because you have the two wilds. Like you could decide, okay, I'm white, red. I'll splash Yenna, and I can even splash the Black Adventure. adventure and like a prop prism or two, like ties the rim together. And then you're giant, really powerful. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I I think I would have taken Decadent Dragon had I had the Ash Party Crasher. I'd like to think I would have anyway. It's interesting. So then then pick two, he gets a Gingerbread Hunter, which is great. So the five drop, uh, five, five makes a food. And then the Adventure, Tuna Black, uh, what's it called? The Tasty Snack. Uh, minus Look at two you. Point two. for you. Yeah. Uh, and then pick three, he get, does get the Holy Grail, right? The stockpiling celebrant for his double princess takes flight. But then pick four, I'm very confused by personally. I, this, I think, is another pretty big error. So just to recap, so he has taken princess takes flight, not the dragon. He has taken gingerbread hunter, so got himself a little deeper into green. But again, that can just be splashed. You could be white, black, whatever. Stockpiling celebrant, deeper into white. Pick four, two really good white options. Cooped up, the pacifism, and hopeful vigil. One on a white enchantment makes a 2-2 knight with vigilance. Uh, and you can pay two in a white to sacrifice vigil. And whenever vigil goes to the graveyard, you get to scry two. And then another red tooth vanguard is here as well. The, the two drop, three one trample that he picked up. Pack one, pick two. But I'm not even eyeing red tooth vanguard. I think even if I know I'm white green, I'm not taking vanguard here. I agree. You're taking cooped up for hopeful vigil probably a hopeful vigil, but I can see a, a strong argument for cooped up as well with Yenna. So maybe it is. I, with cooped I, up I would with take Yenna. vigil personally because he's already got one cooped up and vigil is so good with celebrant too, which he just grabbed. Yeah, I, I would. I would take vigil here. I think it's I think, like I said, even if you're green white, I think vigil is a better two drop. Yes, I, I agree. And then pick five. He ends up grabbing a ginger brute. Out of a pack that is, you know, it's not like it's powerful, but I'm curious about the implications of Gingerbread says to me, you think you're aggressive, right? Like that's where that card is at its best. In my mind, it's at its best in Boros with 
roll tokens. I don't see that happening here, especially when you've got double princess takes flight and stockpiling celebrant and Yenna, you're trying to do some, you're trying to go over the top as far as I can tell. And Brute does not do that. Like I would be eyeing, there's a return from the wilds. If you want to keep going deeper in the, hey, I'm white green splash around life. You could, you could do. Is this the deck for Knight of Doves, Ben? I don't think so. Knight of Doves is real bad. Um, you could even just pick up Leaping Ambush as a green trick for the sideboard, for the main deck, whatever. Like, I just, the Gingerbrute pick is confusing to me. I agree. So, pack two rounds out after Gingerbrute, Kellen's Light Blades, which is great. Another bargain card for the two princess takes flight into Hamlet Glutton, which is Oof. truly excellent. Another bargain guard for the two princess takes flight into Knightly Valor, into some whatever, moderate playables. So at the end of pack two, really needs to fill out the two drop slot, but kind of cooking here with the double princess takes flight. The three ways to bargain those away. He's got stockpiling celebrant to pick it up, brave the wilds and double evolving wilds to splash anything that's come in packs three here. Yeah. So pack one, pick one, anything you open complete gas for you. And the best card in your pack is Utopia Sprawl, which while a good card is a, a bit of a letdown considering how open you are here. Correct. Takes the Utopia Sprawl, pick two, picks up an Agathis Champion, which again is another perfect card uh, with the bargain synergy with Princess Takes Flight. And then pick three. This is a, another interesting pick here. Choice between Brave the Wilds, the green mana fixer that can bargain a card away, or Song of Totentons, the red rare that you can pay red X and make rats equal to the number of X, and your creatures have haste that turn. Yeah, I mean, he's already got two Evolving Wilds and a Brave the Wilds that he picked up. Pack two, pick ten. Song of Totentons, if you're... I mean, he's not ramping, but like he is interested in just hitting land drops and like doesn't really have anything else to splash other than the what is it puny snack um from the the gingerbread hunter like i don't i don't see why i wouldn't take song of totentons at the very least you take it away from one of your in pod opponents like <laughs> the card is really good and then you really get good. to maybe play it yep. like maybe you don't even start it main maybe you side it in sometimes when you think it's appropriate for the matchup whatever like i just don't think you need the second brave the wilds here maybe he just wanted maximum bargain um, bargain for the two princess takes flights but i feel like he's kind of set up there yeah and then pick four huge gift in woodland acolyte that's the white green kicker card that can rebuy a permanent from the graveyard and and the deck rounds out to be very good looking i mean it's it's a strong looking green white deck i think a couple missed opportunities along the way in the draft but i think one of the cool things to note final record was 2-1 a solid looking deck here green white enchantment synergy everything you would want we felt like green was being cut and Reed Duke was to Anthony's right, as you mentioned, and we felt like green was cut. Reed was definitely in green, like he's heavy, heavy, green. heavy green with a blue and a light black splash. Yeah. And and Anthony did end up you know, squeaking out. He had, had ended up with green, white, a seven, seven split in his mana with an evolving wilds and a swamp for that uh, adventure off of the gingerbread hunter. And ended up getting the two one with a, a pretty solid green, white deck, I think left some power on the table in the draft, but it still managed to get a good record and obviously managed to get into the top eight. Reed Duke to his right, cutting green heavily. He was the 3-0 drafter at the table. You'll love to see it. I I'm rooting for Reed pretty hard in Worlds. Although Willie Edel's there too. There's so many good names. Yeah. Worlds is going to be gassed today. Yeah, it's going to be great. I mean, I'll, I am... I'm hoping that there's janky cell phone coverage of the top eight for the 100K as well because I'm <laughs> rooting on jason yay pretty hard for the top eight really hope that they're uh they're able to to get that top prize but super excited for them anyway for getting the pro tour invite so a lot of great magic ahead for us this afternoon ben absolutely looking forward to it jazzed about as you said magic 
with stakes. I think that's the theme of this episode. I am just fired up for competitive magic on all fronts. All right. Great place to wrap us up. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. Thank you so much to CoolStuffInc.com for sponsoring this podcast. If you're heading over there for any and all purchases, please use code LOL at checkout to let them know we sent you there. And more importantly, to get 5% off of anything you purchase, you can find all of our content on our website, lordsoflimited.com. There's links to our Twitch channels, our YouTube page, which we're pumping out content on, as well as this episode each and every week. Uh, There's links to our tier lists, our merch, our episode backlog, all that good stuff over at lordsoflimited.com. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later. 